All right, welcome, welcome. Um, thank you for coming tonight to the ladies' Bible study. There's a lot going on with everyone's lives, and you're taking time out to come here, and I really, really, Carolyn, I really appreciate it. Um, tonight we're going to talk about our thoughts about failure, and I hope this is encouraging to you as it was to me. Um, failure is the opportunity to begin again more intelligently. Henry Ford said that. Failure is not falling down, but are refusing to get up, said a Chinese proverb. Do you think it's a little loud? No, no? you're okay? Okay. Um, failure happens in many different ways. Sometimes failure is obvious and outward, and sometimes it's all on the inside. I've done both, and I pray that nobody remembers it. I could be the poster child for this message. Uh, everyone fails at one time or another, and I failed more times than I can count. Growing up, I failed my parents not doing my chores on time or my homework or practicing my piano lessons, which I regret now. As a teenager, I failed geometry. I took it twice before I finally got it. As a young person, I failed my friends at times, but they were still kind to me. I failed my husband when I couldn't do what he asked, which was read the map while he was driving down the road in a semi through a big city before GPS, and I had to tell him where to turn. And you better be right on your directions because you just can't turn around a semi and a 48-foot trailer anywhere. And there's no saying, oops, wait a minute, I think you're supposed to turn back there. Oh, I should see in a space. <laughs> Eventually, we figured things out. But that was a little rocky when we were first married, and we were beginning to learn about each other on the road. And I held my kids, too. I remember one time I was new at this after-school thing. I never was able to do any after-school, uh, do after-school anything. My mom and dad didn't want any extra places to go after work. So, and I'm sure I'm the worst mom in the world, and you guys have never done this, but I forgot to pick up my daughter from swimming practice. This was before cell phones, too. Yep. I still feel the sting of her anger and tears today. But in my defense, she was my oldest, and I had a lot of chaos with six little kids, and five were seven years old and under, and eventually I, when I did realize it, but I still... It still is upsetting to both of us, and uh, I may or may not have done it more than once. <laughs> oh yes, I should be the poster child for message on failure, and these are just a few. Also, I failed the Lord too many times, but I am reminded in the Word of God that my failures do not have to be fatal. When I was young, I often felt like a spiritual failure in front of my mom and dad, who were not saved and I felt like I ruined my testimony as a bratty teenager. Every Saturday, my mom and I would go to the grocery store and the laundromat. My mom couldn't drive, so it was my job to take her there and help her. I would get so annoyed with my mom because she always told me where to turn. Well, turn up here. And because I did this every Saturday, I know the way. I realize I'm 16 and I just got my license, but I know the way to Piggly Wiggly. I, could pr I would pray about my attitude beforehand, and sure enough, my mom would push my buttons, and I would get mad and say things I shouldn't say. I felt like such a failure for the Lord in, in my testimony. I am 
as I am humbled once again just thinking about this, I am so glad that, and I am comforted by God's word, which says in Lamentations 3, 21 through 23, this I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. My precious mom and dad are long gone now, but I think that before my mom passed away, she got saved, and I know my dad was saved also. Praise the Lord for that. God is faithful even when we are not. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's read verses 1 through 3 and 21 through 24. In verse 1, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to him as, a, uh, as to a living stone rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up, a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And let's go to 21, verse 21. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his footsteps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, this is your message, and I just pray, I want to uplift Jesus Christ in this message and encourage the ladies as I have been encouraged, and hopefully they will find hope, because this hope is in you. Amen. Um. God specializes in using our failures to accomplish his purpose. We are not done when we fail, but instead we can move forward because of Jesus Christ and God's love for us. And all the great men and women of the Bible have made mistakes and fallen into failure at some point. Adam and Eve, Abraham laid about Sarah, Jacob pretended to be his brother Esau to get the family blessing from his blind father, David committed adultery, Thomas doubted, and Peter denied Jesus, just to name a few. They had one thing in common. They didn't lose their salvation and faith. They came back to the Lord humbled and saw that he was gracious and merciful. Failure often makes us feel not good enough for God. Well, tell me, who is good enough for God? It isn't me, and it's not you either. Only Jesus Christ is good enough. And the Lord knew we could never be good enough, but in his amazing love for us, he sent his only begotten son to die on the cross to pay for our sins. And now out of God's amazing love, we have forgiveness, grace, and mercy.
through Jesus Christ. And he knew we could never be good enough, Romans 5, 8, and 9. But God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, not good enough, Christ died for us. Much more having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. God took his wrath out on Jesus Christ. We are now saved from wrath through faith, Romans 5.1, and therefore being justified by faith in Jesus Christ's finished work upon the cross, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So salvation from the punishment of our sins is by faith, and when we believe what Christ has done for us personally, we are now accepted into the family of God as believers. John six forty seven. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. In Ephesians 7 and 8, chapter 1, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. But because we retain a sin nature, we still sin, and that breaks fellowship with the Lord. It blocks that open relationship we have with the Father, and we're still saved and accepted because of Christ, but our close fellowship has been broken. The Lord has not left us helpless, Against our sin nature, though. At salvation, the Lord has given us the Holy Spirit to empower us. And the Lord uses the word of God and asks us to believe and rest in it. What it says about him and his love toward us. So when we're out of fellowship, the Lord begins to draw us back to him. Because he deeply desires that relationship, that fellowship to be restored. Confession restores fellowship, and when you fail... Let it humble you. Allow the Lord to use it to bring you closer to him and appreciate his work and love anew. Ephesians 2.13, But now in Christ Jesus you were once afar off and have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Psalms 13.5, But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Erwin Lutzer wrote a book on the subject of failure. It's called Failure is the Back Door to Success. It's a good book. The statement on the cover is true. God can use our failures if we let him. He uses them to humble us, to teach us, to show us his amazing grace, mercy, and love, and forgiveness, and to encourage others Erwin Lutzer says, and I quote, My conviction is that failure is some kind of thing that's common to us all. And since God has people like us in mind when Christ died, God's grace is adequate to make the best of any situation. Successful people are those who apply God's remedy to failure. But I don't know about... I don't know about you, but it sure helps me to find out that I'm not the only one who's failed. I went into the nursery one day with my kids to drop them off, and I was all weary and discouraged. I felt like such a failure because I realized I was yelling at my children so much that day. I was not as patient as my friend Jeannie, who never seemed to holler at her kids. And then one day I came to her house unannounced, and I heard Jeannie at the top of her lungs 
lungs yelling, Catherine, Jean, get over here. And I thought to myself, oh, that happens to her sometimes too. I'm going to be okay. (laughs) When we fail and someone comes along and says, don't be down on yourself. Confess it. Give it to the Lord. I've done the same thing too. You'll be okay. Or that would probably happen to me if I was in that same circumstance. And then you know they're not looking down their nose at you. At you. Or I've done worse. This is what the Lord helped me come out of and I know he will help you too. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver, Proverbs 25, 11. A word spoken in due season, how good it is, Proverbs 15, 23. And Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider one another to stir up love and good works. I feel like there's people in the Bible that if they were here, they would say to us these things too. I'm so comforted by Simon Peter. He's definitely one of my favorites. He screwed up a lot, but had a great zeal for God. He was impulsive, impetuous, and emotional. He would engage his mouth and actions before he would engage his mind. Because he was the oldest and the leader, he was the first to do things and the boldest. Let's look at when Jesus first called the disciples. In Luke 5, 2 through 11, Jesus was followed by a multitude to hear the word of God. And as he stood by Lake Gesenaret, he saw two boats sitting there. But the fishermen were gone because they were washing their nets. They had just fished all night and caught no fishes. Fish. Jesus got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to go out a little ways from the land. And then Jesus sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had finished, Jesus told Simon, Launch out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. Simon answered and said to him, Master, we just toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, we'll let down our net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, so that their nets were breaking. They had to call the other boat over to help haul in the catch. Simon Peter was immediately humbled about his remark earlier. He fell down on his knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch. And then the other people there was James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon Peter. And according to Matthew 4.19, Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Here Peter shows in a small way how he opens his mouth without thinking and later feels bad about saying anything. Jesus knows all of this and still calls Simon Peter to follow him. God knows we are all sinners and how we fail. Yet he still calls us to follow him too. In Matthew 14, 19 through 31, there's a story of Peter and he sees Jesus walking on the water in the storm. Well, if it's you, Lord, then command me to come out on the water. So Jesus said, come. Okay, and Peter did it. He bravely got out of the boat, walked on the water for a bit until he looked around and took his eyes off Jesus, and he began to sink. 
Then he called for the Lord, Lord, save me. Immediately the Lord was there. And he said, Jesus said, O ye of little faith. Jesus had just fed the 5,000 with two loaves and five fish. And the disciples could not trust this same Jesus could save them in this circumstance also. We do that too. We have victory one day and trusting the Lord. And then the next day, another trial comes and we think, Oh, where are you, Lord? I've been there. We forget the same God who was with you yesterday is with you in your trial today. Then, in Matthew 16, 21 to 23, Peter opens his mouth again. Not in rebellion, but in zeal to protect Jesus because he didn't understand what Jesus was saying. Verse 21, from that time Jesus began to show the disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But Jesus turned to Peter and said, he rebuked him, Get thee behind me, Satan. You are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of man. Whew, that's pretty low to be called Satan by Jesus. Wouldn't you agree? Sometimes we think we know, and we really don't. And it's actually the opposite of God's will. And there's the thing, then there's a thing that happened at the Mount of Transfiguration in Mark 9, verse 2. Now after six days, the disciples, they were worn out. But Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up the high mountain, apart from everyone else by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth could whiten them. And Elijah appeared with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And then Peter, well, he was afraid, but wanted to show the greatest respect. And he opens his mouth and says, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Elijah, and one for Moses. And then a great cloud came over and shadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Hear him. So now Peter is rebuked by God. Suddenly they looked around and saw no one. Elijah and Moses were gone. And Jesus commanded them that they should tell no one the things which they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Ah. If you don't know what to say, it's probably better to say nothing. Haven't we all said things we are, when we're tired that maybe we shouldn't have? Have you ever blurted something out and sometimes should have kept your mouth shut? I've done it. John 18, 12, 2 through 11, Jesus is now being arrested. And Judas came with a detachment of troops and officers and chief priests and Pharisees. Jesus, knowing that they were coming, stepped forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am he. And Jesus, uh, and Judas, who betrayed them, he, Jesus, stood with them. Jesus also told them to let the others go, which fulfilled scripture of those whom you gave me. I have lost none. 
Then Simon Peter wanted to intervene. He wanted to stop them from arresting Jesus. He pulled out his sword and cut off the high priest's ear, right ear. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword in your sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? And Jesus touched his ear and healed the servant. Here Peter is again, in his zeal to protect Jesus, forgets what Jesus has said about himself. And he acts rashly in his desire to stop the arrest. Sometimes we have a great desire to serve the Lord and assume there's a certain direction he wants us to take. But sometimes we forget to pray about it. We we should wait. Sometimes it's good for us to wait before we make our decisions. Then we go to Luke 22, 31 through 32. Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail, that when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But then Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. What are you talking about? Notice Peter's zeal, and he means it. But the Lord knows how weak we are. The Lord does not leave Peter in the enemy's hand. He does not permit Satan to do what he would, nor will the Lord withdraw his strength and grace from believers today. But he will enable us to resist and overcome Satan, and our faith shall not fail. The Lord knows Peter and says, I tell you, Peter, The rooster shall not crow this day before you deny me three times that you knew me. The Lord knows how weak we are and yet prays for us that our faith doesn't fail and that when we have come through our failure that we would encourage others who struggle too. Let's look what happens. So Peter followed the guards as they take Jesus to the high priest's house at a distance and there are different people in the crowd who recognize Peter as a follower of Jesus. And he denied it three times, just as Jesus said. And then the cock crowed. Worse yet, Jesus could see Peter and they locked eyes. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, so he went out and wept bitterly. Can you imagine what a failure he feels like now? lower than dirt. His emotions are telling him, that's it, it's all over. You'll never be anything for God. Don't we say that or feel it when we fail? Oh, I blew it so many times. God must be tired of me confessing this one sin. Or this one is the worst. There's no way I can come back from this. Sometimes in our failures, They're out there for the world to see, but we must not let them be fatal. Remember, the Lord Jesus knew of Peter's weaknesses and what he would do, and yet he loved him, and he prayed for him, and he told them when his faith would be renewed to tell others to strengthen their faith. He confessed it and believed what Christ said. And Jesus says to us in John 16, 33, These things have I written to... These things have I spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. And in the world you'll have tribulation. But be of good cheer, because I have overcome the world. Well then, the third day after the burial, the women came from the tomb 
all excited, saying that Jesus had risen from the dead. So Peter and John ran. But when they got there, they only saw the linen cloths lying by themselves. And Peter departed, marveling to himself about what had happened. I think he was trying to remember what Jesus had said. Even though Peter saw Jesus after the resurrection, according to Luke 24, 34, Jesus, their teacher, is still gone. And it feels like everything is over. And Peter failed Jesus in a big way. So Peter and six of the apostles have gone back to their old job, fishing. And in John 21, they got into the boat, they fished all night, and caught nothing. In the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And he hollers out, children, have you had any food? And they said, no. And Jesus said, cast your nets on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. So they cast, and now they were not even able to draw in the net because of the multitude of fish. Ooh, deja vu perhaps? I wonder if that's why John suddenly said, It's the Lord! Do you notice the Lord is seeking them out? Immediately, Peter plunged into the sea and swam for the shore, and the other disciples came in the little boat, dragging the net behind them. And the Lord had a hot fire, fish and bread, and he said, Bring some more fish, come and eat breakfast. After they had eaten, Jesus said to Peter, Three times, he said, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And three times, Simon Peter answers, Lord, you know I love you. And three times, Jesus said, feed my sheep. Jesus is calling Peter back to serve him, and the Lord says that to us when we fail. Remember that even in our worst failures, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Notice how the Lord sought him out. He loved them, and he still had an amazing plan for their lives to use them beyond their wildest dreams. Another story in John 21, starting in verse 18, about Peter, Jesus reveals to Peter how he will die. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. Verse 19 says that he spake signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, Jesus said to him, Follow me, Peter. And then Peter, turning around, he, and he saw another disciple. It was the one who Jesus loved following them who had leaned on Jesus' breast at supper, and the same guy who asked, Lord, who is the one who will betray you? That was John that asked that. And Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, But, Lord, what about this man? What's going to happen to John? And Jesus replied, If I want him to remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Don't compare yourself, Peter. You mind your own bobber in what the Lord has for you. Follow me, and you will find what you need. Erwin Lutzer says, The spirit of comparison is worldly, carnal, and devilish. If God wishes to bless others in a different way than us, 
What is that to us? We need to be occupied with him. We need and what we have in him. Our focus can easily be screwed up as soon as we start to compare. And soon God is not good but not good enough and what he's given is not good enough. Paul encourages us to put on hope and our focus in the Lord. And the Holy Spirit will show us what we have in the Lord and things that man what we have in the Lord and man things that man's wisdom cannot comprehend beyond man's comprehension. In 2 Corinthians 2:19 through 12, it says, The eye hath not seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those that love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit, for the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man except the spirit of man which is in him? Man can only know his, only, his own heart. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. So we have received that Spirit, not the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit of who, is of who is from God, that we may know the things which have been freely given to us by God. So if you're not feeling good enough today for God, or not good enough for God to use, just remember that Jesus, his most trusted disciples, failed and made mistakes were regular people like you and me. And if they can get a second chance, then we can have second chances, and third chances, and 23rd chances, because the truth is, so many of us are just like Peter. If Peter can be redeemed and used of God, so it is true of us and our failures. And we don't have a God who only chooses the worthy or educated or perfect in quotes, Jesus offers salvation to people like you and me, knowing full well our weaknesses and our failures, and he's happy to strengthen you and empower us with his love and give us hope. So we too can be like Peter and encourage others to know him and bring honor and glory to God with our lives. This hope does not depend on our faithfulness. It depends on our faithful God. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, When we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. So, what happened with Peter? He was identified as the lead apostle. He was the one to explain what had taken place at Pentecost by the Old Testament scripture and give the gospel to, and 3,000 people got saved. And just as Jesus had said, the apostles performed many miracles, signs, and wonders. And next time Peter preached, 5,000 got saved. Peter was greatly used in the early church, and the Lord gave him much wisdom in the community of believers written for us throughout the book of Acts. He was a man of prayer and praise. And in Acts 16, when the, he was imprisoned, he was liberated by an angel. He wrote two books in the Bible, which include some of my favorite verses, one of which is 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy, and he knew that, hath begotten us again into a living hope by the resurrection from the dead. And this resurrection 
Peter was an eyewitness to, and the people living at the time of the writing of this, that book, they knew it was true too, because some of them, were, those eyewitnesses were still alive. As Peter said it in 2 Peter 1.16, for we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And I love 2 Peter 1, 1 through 4. Simon Peter, a bondservant of the apostle Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us, all you believers, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God, knowing who God is and what he's done, and of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as the divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life, and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his glory and virtue by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. Wow, I can't think of a better person who failed and screwed up yet didn't allow it to be fatal. He responded to the word of God through Jesus, believed in his love, from which flowed forgiveness, grace, and mercy. And he was greatly used of the Lord. The Lord loved Peter, Peter whether he failed or believed God's word, and he was a success. And he could say to us, don't be discouraged in your fails. This is what I've done, and this is how the Lord used it to humble me, and to pick me up, and to bring honor and glory to him, and you will be okay. There's other kind of failures. Some people have totally walked away from the Lord. They have been bitter or angry at their circumstances, and they can't see the Lord as good and loving, or some think the world is too enticing. They want to do what they want to do. And they don't care if it honors God or not. They only see the Lord as a bunch of no's. Let me do what I want to do, and I can run my own life. When these same believers come back to the Lord feeling like there is no hope for them, instead they look and they find something else. Let's look at the story of the prodigal son. Turn to Luke 15, and we'll start to read verses 11 through 24. verse 11, then he said, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them his livelihood. And not many days after the younger son gathered his stuff together and journeyed to a far country, and there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. And when he had spent all there, arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him to feed to his fields to feed the swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, because no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, 
How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, and he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And he said, and, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and, and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father just said to him, his servants, Bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead, is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Here's someone who really thought that there was no hope in his failure. He traded his happy home life with his family and took his inheritance and squandered it with whatever the world had to offer at the time. And soon it was gone, and so were his friends, and he had nothing, and no one helped him. So he finally got a job to feeding slop to the pigs, and he was so hungry and desperate he would have gladly eaten the pig slop. He finally came to his senses and realized that even his father's servants had more than he did. But how could he go back? His father would be so angry with him. He thought to himself, I'll beg to be one of his servants. I'm no longer worthy to be called a son. As he approached his father's house, he saw his father coming from far away to him with compassion. And he ran up to him and he hugged him and he kissed him. As he did, the son confessed his sin and unworthiness. The, the father welcomes back his son because his love for his son compels him to forgive. The father continued to celebrate the son's homecoming and dressing him up and having a great feast, proclaiming, this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Dear friends, the Lord our Heavenly Father proclaims this to us as we once again turn our eyes toward him. The Lord is saying to you, as we see in this story, you are always welcome home because of the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin. The grace of God is pictured here. Even though others have rejected you, the Lord will not reject you. The father welcomes back his son with no strings attached. His love for his son compels him to forgive. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. We are standing in oceans of grace, Romans 5.1. In Romans 8, it says, There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. This story is really about the father's compassion and joy about the prodigal son's homecoming. Grace doesn't endorse sin. Jesus knows our heart fully. But grace chooses to see God's forgiveness even more. The Lord understands us better than we do ourselves, and he offers grace, no strings attached. And victory may not happen all at once, but it can happen to you by God's power and strength. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. God says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. 
Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Take heart. God uses people that fail. Seek advice from others that can help. Older and wiser friends, a pastor, a professional counselor, humbly listen and learn. One writer said, failure isn't failure unless you don't learn from it. Remember, God wants to forgive your failures, lift you up, and give you hope. God cares about your problems and struggles and mistakes. Let him help you. The Lord, our Heavenly Father, is like the prodigal son's father. He is waiting and watching for you to come back into relationship with him. We need to accept his forgiveness to us and forgive ourselves. Forgiveness is canceled debt. The Lord forgave us through sending Jesus Christ and his love for us. And let's talk about that love. Four characteristics about God's love were mentioned before, but let's talk about it as in failure. God loves us unconditionally. Whether the person accepts his love or not, the Lord continues to love. In our failures, the ones where really feel there is no hope, remember God's love is not like human love, it is far higher and far deeper. He, his love, he loved us and sent his son while we were yet his enemies. He created us for a special bond with him. He loves whether the person deserves it or not, he continues to love. In our failure, we may fall into a subtle lie of Satan that we don't deserve God's love. We have gone so low that we can never get it back. Remember, nothing can separate us from the love of God. He is watching and waiting for us to come back into his loving arms, and he never fails to love. And number three, he even loves if the person is thankful or not. He continues to love. This aspect of God's love is very hard for us because we don't naturally love someone or continue to help someone voluntarily unless they're thankful sometimes. Maybe if it were a family member or we were paid to do it, but the Lord sent his only son, whether we were thankful or not, even as believers, we can be unthankful. But as we seek to know how the Lord loves us, whether we are thankful or not, whether we understand our circumstances or not, God loves us and is accomplishing a good work in us if we let him. He has an amazing plan for our lives, too. We cannot, in our human thoughts, understand the Lord, but in his word, he reveals himself and his love so that we can trust him, whether we understand what's going on or not. Psalm 73, 26, My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. His love, number four, doesn't have to be returned either. He continues to love whether we fail and act like his enemy. Take heart, dear parents. If your child walks away from the Lord and acts like his enemy, the Lord still loves your child and is wooing him or her back to himself. Don't ever stop praying for them and tell others to pray. God never gives up on them or us. What do we do? When others have failed us, a co-worker or even a boss, maybe they don't recognize your accomplishments. Maybe something is unfair 
The boss plays favorites. Maybe the boss reminded you that you are replaceable and that you don't feel like you matter anymore. Or your husband has failed you and caused you deep frustrations or mistrust. Or a friend let you down. Maybe they said something that hurt your feelings or maybe they told your secret or they forgot what they had promised or failed to help you when you really needed it. Or maybe your parents said or criticized you in a way in what they think you should do that makes you feel like you never can please them. Or another believer in church said something that really hurt your feelings, so much so that you may never come out to church again. These are very real and hurtful feelings or things. What do we do? Others failing you is a big part of life, and no one will go without facing this at one time or another. And then there's the occasion when a person may not even know they failed you. Or what if they never come and ask forgiveness? And God feels distant. Does God really even care? But others have let but if others have let you down, it doesn't mean that God has let you down. Let's go back to the cross. The Lord Jesus Christ came to die for our failures. He forgives you, he loves you unconditionally. He says, My grace is sufficient for you. Be patient with yourself. Offer God your anger and your frustration. Ask him to help you with the situation between you and this other person and the hurt that has resulted. Note that Jesus was perfect in every way, yet he did not sin. They hated him. They called him names and criticized him constantly. And Jesus understands our hurts. He lived it. We can have... And we have to make a choice when others fail us. Let's look at some negative responses. A hard heart that says, forget you, I'm not trusting you again. And we build walls around our heart to protect us, but only makes us prickly and sensitive. Or a prideful spirit when we say, I would never do that. I can't believe they would do that to me. Or a justified sin. We feel justified in our actions, even if they are sinful. Taking stuff from work. Gossip, you talked about me, I know some dirt on you. Cheating on a paper, everybody else does it. Or a vengeful attitude, yeah, well, they're getting what they deserve. How do we overcome these natural responses? Again, go back to the cross and humble yourself. Remember what the Lord has done for you. The forgiveness and grace and love he has extended to you. Confess our attitude and ask the Lord to help us respond supernaturally in a way that honors him and for the wisdom to do and to say what brings honor and glory to him. Ask the Lord to help you have a soft heart toward the things of God. Psalms 19:14. let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Or a humble heart, James 4, 6, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Says, I know I'm capable of sin and I am thankful for God's grace toward me. Acknowledgement of God's grace toward you, Paul encourages us in 1 Corinthians 15.10, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was in me. A trusting attitude. Believing what the Lord says in his word. 
Psalms 32, 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with mine eye. Psalms 33, 18, Behold, the eyes of the Lord is on those who fear him and on those who hope in his mercy. When we judge others, we must be very careful, knowing we ourselves could easily be guilty of the same sins or just as guilty in a different area. So we can't look down our noses. Instead, extend the same love which God has extended to us and let God handle the situation and pray to the Lord about what to do. God provided the remedy even, if, remedy, even for the most ugly kind of failure. He has the wisdom to take the messes we have made, or others, and straighten them out. No one has failed too greatly or too often for the Lord. The prodigal son's father would have forgave him even if he turned around and did the same thing again. That's how God's love is. Although we or they have some consequences probably to live with or to go through because of their sin, God had sinners like us in mind when he initiated his redemptive plan. Erwin Lutzer asks, what is failure? And he answers, living with our human thoughts and motivations. Human thoughts. What is success? Learning to see God's love and grace once again and applying it and understanding who God is and how we are accepted by God's love despite our failures. We have this incredible spiritual inheritance at our disposal, and our acceptance is secure. The secret to serving the Lord is to appreciate his, his forgiveness and to live in constant appreciation of his grace. And it is precisely the Christian's utter frailty which lays him open to the experience, the all-sufficiency of God's grace, to experience the all-sufficiency of God's grace, so that he is able to rejoice because of his weaknesses. Many of us are blinded by our self-righteousness. We love little because we think we have been forgiven little. The greatest obstacle to God's grace is satisfaction in our own accomplishments. If we think we can do it, we never learn to lean on God. Success is living in dependence on Christ, seeing our need for the cross daily, motivated to serve Christ out of sheer gratitude, seeing, seeking to know the Lord and what he has done for you, a sort of like seeing another facet on the diamond of our salvation. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Failed, but not fatal. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Christ 
also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Christ, life of Jesus, also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. And I think verse 15 is another one. For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. And I had this other thought about, if in our thoughts about failure we can't let go of the guilt of some sin or failure in our life, we are saying to Jesus Christ, you're not good enough. That we can be good enough. Somehow we have lost it. And we are accepted, we have to remember, we are only accepted because of Christ and not because of us. Remember, Jesus Christ paid for all our sins. And once confessed, the Bible says he puts our sin as far as the east is from the west. Ask the Lord to help you accept his forgiveness, to help you overcome your guilt. He is the God of peace, and you need peace and rest in his forgiveness and the joy of the Lord. Peter failed miserably right in front of Jesus. Yet he was forgiven and used of God. Luke twenty two thirty one says, Jesus said, And when you have to return to me, strengthen your brethren. The Lord understands that when we, we will fail, yet he still calls us into relationship with himself and then also to encourage others with the encouragement that we have had in the Lord. Hebrews 10, 22 through 24, I love this. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. There's like two prayers that might help us when others have failed us. Father, help me to be slow to anger. People will let you down. Forgive them in advance. People can't meet your needs. And put your trust in God and not others. And number two, Lord, help me to love with a tender heart. Lord, help me to love others and to love you. If anybody has a right to have a hard heart, it was Jesus. And what did he say on the cross in Luke 23, 34? Father, forgive them they know not what they do we need to forgive as christ forgave us we need do we deserve god's forgiveness allow that thought to linger in your brain for a while others have failed us when others have failed us and we feel alone we are not alone because the father is with us and the father seeks to have his joy fulfilled in us he has a purpose for our lives and jesus said Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth, John 17, 17. Set them, believers today, apart from the world's thoughts and reactions by your truth in your word through the power of the Holy Spirit teaching us about your love, the love for us and who you are. And in John 17, 26, Jesus said, I have declared to them your name and will declare it, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them 
and I in them. Pray that we would have the love Jesus loved others with when others fail us. Remember that in our thoughts about failure when others fail us, we can easily fall into the pit of despair if we focus on it. But the Lord Jesus died for those sins too. And we can humbly unload them at the foot of the cross and mentally leave them there and quit staring at them. Instead, turn our eyes to the one who cares about us, who understands us, and can turn our lives into victories for him. He can heal us so that we can encourage others and bring honor and glory to him. Second Peter ends with this verse. But grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. And Erwin Lutzer has a quote I took from the book. My conviction is that failure of some kind is common to us all. And since God had people like us in mind when Christ died, God's grace is adequate to make the best of any situation. And successful people are those who apply God's remedy for failure. Peter is an example to us of a man who failed. He would engage his mouth in actions before he engaged. Oh, that's a that's just something extra on there that I didn't mean to say. So um, I hope this was encouraging to you and gave you hope. It did me. And um, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are the great and holy, holy Lord God of heaven and earth, and you sent your Son because you loved us, and you had a plan for each one of our lives, and you, you just want our fellowship. You want that relationship for all of us, and you know each one of our hearts, and you know all our weaknesses, and yet you love us, and you're tenderly working in our lives to bring us, put our, help us to put our eyes on you, and find our help and our encouragement and our strength in you. Pray that we can encourage others with what we have been encouraged and that this would be um, helpful to the believers. In Jesus' name, amen.